Welcome to Season 2 of the DVM Divas Podcast. Before we get started with Dr. Crocker, I just wanted to take a minute and say thank you from Maria, Melissa, and myself. We really appreciate all of the online love. And without further ado, we hope you enjoy today's interview as much as we did. Hey everybody, and welcome to this episode of the DVM Divas Podcast. Ever since I found this wonderful human online, I just couldn't wait to interview her. Today, Melissa and I get to interview Dr. Tanasia Crocker, who is probably more well-known online as Dr. Crocker Pet Vet. Dr. Crocker is a 2009 graduate of the College of Veterinary Medicine at Texas A&M University. She went on to complete her equine internship in Southern California at West Coast Equine. After her internship, Dr. Crocker went on to practice equine ambulatory medicine as a solo practitioner for three years. As time and life changed, she transitioned into small animal practice. She currently practices in Grapevine, Texas at Northwest Animal Hospital and at the Emergency Hospital of North Texas. Dr. Crocker also enjoys spending time with her family, her husband, and their two beautiful kiddos. And if being a wife and a mama and having two jobs wasn't enough, Dr. Crocker can also be found sharing her story and mentoring others online. I've read numerous comments that refer to her as their vet mom. It doesn't take you long at all to see the level of support she shares online for all, no matter where you are in your vet med journey. So join us as we go beyond the stethoscope with Dr. Tanasia Crocker. Welcome to the DVM Divas podcast. It's no secret that the veterinary profession is made up of thousands of amazing women. In fact, we're more than 60% of the current workforce but it's also apparent that we've been struggling to stay happy and fulfilled. Well, join us, the DVM Divas, as we take this profession back from discontent. Listen as we explore the concepts that motivate us. Community. Making positive changes. Growth. Compassion. And courage. Laugh with us. Cry with us. Celebrate with us as we define what it means to be a badass woman in veterinary medicine. When did you first consider vet med as a career? How old were you? What did you think you would do? Reception or vet or what's the origin story? I actually grew up riding um, horses and I showed on the national level and I wanted to be horse trainer because doesn't every five, six-year-old want to be a horse trainer? And my dad, who is very smart man, didn't just say, no, don't be a horse trainer. You won't make any money and your body will get wrecked. He was like, you know, maybe you could work with horses still, but, you know, be a doctor. Wouldn't that be cool? And so he was instrumental in getting me around the vets that would come out and do stuff and just introducing me, I think, to the concept of it. And I immediately was obsessed. And as soon as I could, I read all the James Harriet books and I was further pulled into the, you know, fantasy of the veterinary world. And it really never wavered from there. Uh, And I still love it today. So he was a smart man to point me in that direction. But I am one of those, you know, typical stories of I was a kid, wanted to be a vet, um, but it was because I loved horses. So we know that you did start out in equine and now you've transitioned and more into small animals. What prompted that switch? Did you ever think you would make the change? I really didn't. 
Yeah, I tell students all the time, if you had asked me when I was in school, would I've ever, ever worked on small animal? I would have laughed out loud and bet you a million dollars. Now I didn't do one dental on small animals when I was in vet school. I did not do any anal glands. <laughs> I let all my other classmates do all that stuff because I'm like, I will not be doing this. I do not need to practice this. I'm like you guys get the experience. I don't need it. So <laughs> just goes to show you pay attention to everything in vet school. Cause you don't know where you end up. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, EP president and in charge of all the horse stuff. And then I got out and I did it and I loved it. And I actually feel like I was great at it. And I was the first woman in the practice I was in, you know, working 60, 80 hours. And then I had the first kid and kind of the typical story. My husband traveled three to four days a week Mm -hmm. and I was single parent three to four days a week. And I was still on call 50% of the time. Ouch. So instead of just saying, I can't do this, I'm done. I said, well, let me see if I can kind of renegotiate the on-call because I think I want to stay in it. And my boss said, absolutely not. Mm. You still need to do 50% on-call. And I said, well, I unfortunately can't. I can't take my baby out in the middle of the night doing colics anymore. I have anxiety. She's crying in the car. I'm trying to tube a horse. It's not good for me. It's not good for the patients. And so we parted ways. We're still friends because I was very open and upfront. But I had actually another client who had... Uh, miniature donkeys. And he would call me out to do all his work. And he owned a small animal practice. And every time I went out there, he's like, okay, Crocker, when you get tired of this equine thing, you just call me. (laughs) I'm like, no, no, that'll never happen. Yeah. And you get tired of the hours. I mean, you want to make some real money, you call me. And so literally called him and he said, these are all the days you can start relieving and I'll let all my buddies know. And I was relieving and booked up quickly and making significant amounts of money working half the time I had been working as an equine. So quickly made the shift. And you know, a lot of people ask me, why didn't you just find another equine job that maybe had more flexibility? And I think it was just timing and location. There wasn't that many options where I am. Um, And I feel like a little bit of fate too plays into things. So when that door is open that widely, you kind of run through it. So that's how it all went down. I can definitely relate to those days, those early days when our kids were, my babies were little and going out on calls. And like you said, an infant in a car seat and trying to focus. And if maybe we were lucky, the farmer's wife would take Mm -hmm. pity and bring her inside and, you know, and, but that was one of the reasons that my husband and I decided to make the move to the practice that we're in now. We had decided that early on, we thought we never wanted to be in the same practice together because it just of all the kind of just stuff mm-hmm. that goes along with doing that. But then we figured out working for two different practices and two competing on-call schedules and with an infant that just, it wasn't feasible. It was not realistic for us. And so, yeah, we kind of took similar scenario. You know, the opportunity came up for us to come to this practice and they told me, we want you to build up the small animal side of things. And so that's how I kind of got to where I am. So I can definitely relate. It's a very common story, unfortunately, and I I hope that I have seen some practices, and I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but some practices that are more all women practices who they work less days and each have like less on call, but they do it so that they can still do what they love, but have a lifestyle that works for their families. And so I have seen that there's more vets in a practice. Everyone works a little less Mm -hmm. and they do that because that's what they need to do. And so I I think that shift will continue to happen Mm -hmm. um, just because of the, you know, gender changes in our profession. But I'm happy that people are thinking outside the box. 
tell people that and students that all the time think outside the box when it comes to scheduling and different things because there's a lot a lot of options out there and I think just from watching some of your Instagram videos and you talked about it a little bit that you know we do need to stand up and ask for what we need and we just need to open up the conversation instead of just assuming somebody's going to say no or something like that and then you know in your story in particular you know you were told no and it's like okay then I find another option you know, students will say, well, how do you, but how do you ask? And so I kind of walk them through the scenario. Okay. You ask. And the worst thing that happens, what's the worst thing that happens? And they say, well, they say, no, I say, okay. And you won't die. You won't explode. You know, like then at least, you know, and you can look for the next thing that works for you or, you know, look at other options. But if you never ask, I think you are not aware of all the possibilities out there. And you just got to put yourself out there. And I do have some students that say, well, what if I come across as a little too, eh, which I assume means kind of, you know, and <laughs> I say, so you're talking about your life, your career, like you need to be aggressive and really put yourself out there. I mean, this is not the time to sit back and say, well, I don't want to be too straightforward or I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings because you were talking about your life here. So you have to be aggressive. Yeah. And I think that's hard as women. We have to be advocates for ourselves. We have to be advocates for our families. Yes. You know, if there's ever a time to be pushy, that's the time. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think we need to just sort of take that negative connotation away from that. And maybe pushy isn't really the best word to use either. You know, more of just being empowering and advocating for yourself and, and taking sort of that, that stigma away from that. Yes. Most of the words used to describe it would be negative words when they're put yes when they're discussing a woman doing it yes. and less so a man. So, and I think that is changing. And so that's why I think it's, it's good to see so many strong women standing up and saying, this is what we want. This is what we need. And we're excited about it and really encouraging one another. That's why I like y'all. <laughs> Well, it's interesting to me too, because I found, you know, the few times I have had to stand up and say, hey, I need this. What can we do to make it happen? These are my ideas. What are your ideas? And most of the time, up to this point, most of my bosses have been male and older. Never once did they look at me and say, you're a whatever, um, because mm -hmm. you told me what you wanted. They actually all went, oh my God, thank you for telling me what you needed. I don't have to second <laughs> guess this anymore. Like, yeah, your plan may not work, but let's find a compromise or, you know, something. Not once did they call me a B word. <laughs> they just mm -hmm. said, oh my God, I can't read your mind. Thank you for telling me. And I was like, yeah, okay, you're welcome. We'll do this more often. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your vet school experience. And um, if you've got like one fun story from vet school, these are some of my favorites. I think now because I've been out for so long that like, I just love hearing about it. Makes me feel young. I was thinking about story. Well, I've been out longer than you, so hey. I am definitely. <laughs> but we, so my group of vet school folks and friends who are still some of my greatest friends, um, we were definitely the ones who worked really hard, but played really hard too. <laughs> probably the ones that people were like surprised that we did so well in school because we maybe weren't always like the most attentive, but we had a lot of personality. That's what they said about us. A lot of personality. So we did a lot of really like silly things, but things to kind of encourage just people, you know, letting our hair down and having fun. I'm embarrassed to tell the story, but 
we, so first year I'm highly competitive. Um, and I am a big like foodie and I can eat a lot of food and I've never, <laughs> I've won like crawfish eating challenges. Like I just really like to eat and I'm, you know, not the type of person that looks like I would be like that. So we had a, um, someone said, Oh, let's do the gallon challenge. I'm like, I don't know. Sure. Like, what is it? And they're like, Oh, it's a gallon challenge. Like you drink a gallon of milk. I'm like, I love milk. Like I got this, I can do this. And this is my (laughs) super competitive side coming out. So they're like, okay, well there's like 10 of you that are going to do it. And so I show up after school and I wore, I don't know why I was like, Oh, it's a gallon challenge. I wore like these overalls. And I was like, I don't know, like a farmer. And I'm like, I'm just putting myself out there. Like this is first year. No one really knows anybody. And I'm like, I'm just, this is me. Right. And so I show up, it's me and all guys. I mean, there's no other girls doing this. And I'm like, I got this. I love milk. I got this y'all. I got like halfway through this gallon of milk and I was like, this is not good. This is a bad decision. This is horrible. And I did get further than some of them, but I definitely ended up throwing up like huge amounts of milk in front of all my vet school classmates and I was the only girl to try it and I I feel like I got maybe some respect from even trying it you know or people were like that girl is ridiculous but that was kind of my personality to like jump in and I had no clue what I was getting into but it was still one of our like fun memories you know And we also flooded the river one time and we lost a couple of people on the river. Like they floated off and we couldn't find them for hours. So that was just our group. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They were fine. They're fine. Um, But, you know, we just, I don't know, we did a lot of stuff outside of school because I feel like that's important. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you go to school and you only study and you only, you know, you stress out all the time, I think you don't do those things in life that refill you and fuel you up, like spending time with people who care about you. Um, and then you get out and practice and you continue to do the same thing and only feed into your practice and only give of yourself mentally and emotionally to your clients. And you don't take that time mm-hmm. to like refuel. So we learned early on to refuel. Just don't do it with a gallon of milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't even imagine being in the premises during the aftermath of that. Like, oh, hopefully there were trash cans and buckets available. We all, like, we were near a parking lot, so I just ran out between two cars. Like, I apologize to whoever's cars were. I don't even know. But I was, (laughs) it was a bad decision. Don't ever do a gallon challenge. (laughs) Just say no. Yeah, just say no. (laughs) So was your husband there for this? Mm. So we got married between first and second year. Okay. And so I think he was actually working that day, and I'm pretty sure he was, recommending I not do it. Um, but he knows my personality knows telling me not to do something is obviously not going to get me to not do it. So I think he just kind of said, Oh, do you really know what you're doing? And okay, good luck. And then he laughed. I mean, he was dying when I told him what happened. So, but no, he wasn't there for the actual challenge, which was probably good for our relationship. (laughs) I'm sure in all of our vet school classes, we had, you know, peers get married not be married anymore. You know, life happens while you're away for four years. So how do you feel like being married during vet school shaped your experience? Like, would you recommend it? I talk about this a lot to students and on Instagram. I highly recommend it if you have the right partner. Mm -hmm. I think that I had a person who understood that vet school had to be my priority 
and that I was going to have really hard days sometimes and basically was just there saying, what do you need? And helping manage things at the house and with the animals where I wasn't as stressed out. I tell students, if you are in a relationship in school where you do not have someone who understands the requirements of what you need to be doing and studying and everything, you need to reassess that relationship. And I'm that straightforward about it. If you're married already, you need to get in counseling. I think that a lot of vets who are unhappy in their career, it is not just because of things that happen at work. Mm -hmm. I think they have the added pressure of somebody at home who is not supportive of the hours and how some days you come home and you just don't want to talk, you know, you just are worn out. And so if you don't have somebody who recognizes that and lets you do what you need to do to kind of survive this profession, I think you are going to hate it and you'll feel pulled in really different directions. So I'm super straightforward. And I tell people, if you're in a relationship with someone not supportive, you need to get out of it or you need to reassess things because it's going to break you down over time. So it was great for me. (laughs) Is your husband in the veterinary business or is he outside of the vet world? No. So he's not even an animal person, (laughs) y'all. He is so handsome and so smart and so wonderful. But the man is not an animal person. And he, we actually had to make a deal when we got married that before I brought any new animals home, I had to check with him. And, you know, we had to come to a decision because I could not ever have a house with 20 animals in it. (laughs) But he is, uh, he's actually an entrepreneur. Uh, He was in banking and finance for a long time and kind of supported me during those years when I was making nothing and the tides changed. And I am actually now able to support our family and he is able to do franchises and Aww. yes, do the things that he's always wanted to do. And so it's been really, really amazing. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like you guys have like an awesome partnership. We do. We have a lot of fun. Well, what are some of the things you like to do for fun? So we're a little basic, I guess you would say we really like food. So we'll go to like a random place we've never been to before and literally tell the waiter, you know, bring us your favorite things and we'll try them. And we just like to sit and talk. And we have a rule that we only talk about the kids for the first like five to 10 minutes. And the rest of the time we have to talk about other things, which I think keeps things fresh. Right. And then we really, in vet school, we used to go dancing a lot and those things. And now we're just old. Um, we, we do a uh, game nights, like we'll have, you know, friends over and we'll play like Catan and mm. we'll let all the kids run around and just, you know, have a little bit of a social time, but it's really just putting our phones down, connecting over some good food and good drinks. And, and that's enough usually to really fuel me back up. I think at this point in our lives, like letting children wear each other out is a yes. perfectly <laughs> wonderful way to spend an evening. Where are the kids? Oh, they're quiet. Okay, we're good. (laughs) Who cares? Don't talk to them. Don't look at them. Nothing. This last weekend, we went over to, we have another couple, which is basically our best friends and our kids are all kind of the same ages. And we went to their house and they're in the middle of remodeling. And so the other half of their house is not accessible at the moment. And so we had to have all adults and all children in the same common area. Like, this isn't working. No, <laughs> we, we need to split up, but this isn't like, you guys need to go do something else because we want to talk adult stuff here. And so we had, to, we're rethinking our strategy for socialization so that kids need their space to go be kids. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. Uh-huh. You're like, you tell your friends, so we can't come over again until your remodel's done, but we love hanging out with you. <laughs> yeah. We all got this dumb fight. Over, no, it wasn't a fight, but we, like, they're having a disagreement over a microwave because they're, they're an existing microwave 
broke. And so one of them wants to replace it with a temporary microwave. And the other one's like, well, we're building a new kitchen. We're going to get a fancy microwave. And that, so we had this huge philosophical debate on whether or not you should or should wait for a microwave. It was kind of interesting. There's so many life lessons there though. I know. It's- Seriously. I would have enjoyed that. I would have. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Back to the ranch. Sorry. Top. This is what Anne was referring <laughs> to when sometimes we get sidetracked. <laughs> What made you want to start being more visible online or, you know, start with Instagram? And I know you've got your website and things. What kind of started that trend in your life? So I think you guys are part of the moms group too um, online. And I became more and more active just in different social groups and then realized more and more all the negativity. And it kind of broke my heart a little bit because I really do still love what I do. And it's been 10 years and I work with two men who are actually really happy still in their profession. And so I feel like it could be a more vocal minority who really dislike where they're at. And then there's a majority of us that have made choices and decisions that have really, you know, put us in a a good place in the profession. And so I felt like it was probably really discouraging for a lot of students and young veterinarians to hear all those stories all the time. And yes, it's good to be heard, but the counter side to that is not everyone feels that way. So I figured I should put myself out there and my story out there. And really online is the easiest, fastest way to connect. And there was a huge Instagram veterinary community that I was never aware of before. Uh, So I decided to jump in there and I kind of did it at the beginning before like there's been a dramatic increase in students that have joined in the last couple months and and been telling their stories. And so I just started there and really took the time to think out what were the main things I wanted to portray and share and how did I want to connect? And it's really evolved and grown really rapidly, which has been really, really fun. And it's segued into all these other things and collaborations and meeting other inspiring uh, women veterinarians and students. And so it's really I hope people who don't want to go online because they're scared of, you know, the public and, and other people that I think they would be surprised how much it actually encourages them mm-hmm. and helps them to find people who really get them and are having similar experiences. And so it was originally just to connect and find ways to meet more students. And it has really grown into more than that and kind of a movement and something I'm really, really excited about. So I commend you for speaking up on positive things. One thing that I have been noticing here recently, or not even recently, I guess over the last however many, six to 12 months, is that not not necessarily in the moms group that we're all a part of, but in some other groups, it seems like you're almost ridiculed if you speak up in something other than abject horror and dissatisfaction with your career. Like the trend now and the the popular thing now is to, to complain about how horrible everything is. And I have been guilty of that myself. I mean, there's no denying it. But I've been in other groups where somebody tries to be a voice of inspiration and a voice of positivity and they are shot down. Yes. And it's almost like, well, geez, guys, I mean, Okay. I mean, it's one thing to vent from time to time. We all need to do that, but we're creating this whole negative self-fulfilling prophecy. And so I, I have a theory on that. I really think, so if you look at the percentage of people that actually reply to like a Facebook message or like it or don't, it's a really small amount. And I think you have a lot of 
people that are quiet in those groups Mm -hmm. that agree, but are scared to speak out in agreement because of those loud negative voices. And so my theory is I'm going to keep putting the positivity out there because even though I, that may happen. And honestly, I welcome a little bit of negativity because I do not mind having a discussion with you as long as it is, you know, a respectful discussion. But I also think people that are negative, they're just in that space and they feel so stuck that they cannot imagine that anyone truly, truly is happy in this profession. And that's where it's saying, okay, that's your perspective. And I'm going to understand that that's where you're at, but I'm going to tell you that's not the reality for me. I think it's frustrating when people feel like their feelings have to be your feelings because Mm -hmm. their experience is their experience. And we all have such different paths and different places we're in. So I agree with you and I get frustrated about that too. And you know, you'll say, Oh, husband brag, blah, blah, blah. And then someone will say, Oh, well, thanks to us, you know, single people, like breaking us down here. And it's like, okay, can we just, (laughs) can we just encourage one another and lift one another up and be happy for one another and not compare it always back to our, our lives and our experience? Like, can't we just share and, and be there for each other? And so I think it's more Facebook that that's happening than Instagram, even though I do sometimes see the trend on Instagram, but if you want more positivity, get over to Instagram. Cause I think it's much more positive. Me too. And I also think certain Facebook groups, I've just left them mm-hmm. or I've silenced them mm-hmm. because it really didn't feed me in any way. And it didn't encourage me in any way. And if anything, it just frustrated me and made me angry, honestly. So I, again, I tell students and young vets, if you are a part of something that lends itself to you being more negative or being more frustrated, then you need to shut that down. Yes. I think it's a vocal minority that is negative. And that is my theory. Well, and I think too, that's good advice for anyone. Yes. Any feed, any platform that makes you feel negative or makes you feel less than, or makes you feel that way. Even if that's not the original poster's intent, get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Don't follow them anymore. It's not worth, it's not worth feeling that way about it. So what's the favorite part for you about building your brand online? Like Were there any surprising bonuses or any surprises or just things you really enjoy about it or? I, so I honestly did not think the podcast thing would ever happen. And it's been so fun guesting on them uh, because I really enjoy talking to other veterinarians and hearing their stories and even other students because I've done, you know, the first one I did was that vet life with um, Mm -hmm. Scotland Mo. And so that's been really fun to do. I just think this career is surprising in general, the writing that I've done, the speaking opportunities, it's all just really, I feel like I've kind of jumped on the hamster wheel and it's just going and it's amazing and really, really, really fun. And the feedback I'm getting is really positive. So I am surprised by all of it, but I also was going for it, if that makes sense. So, you know, a lot of people ask me, what was your goal? Like, what's your ultimate goal? And I really tell them, I am just open to whatever comes along and whatever opportunities come along that will let me get my message out there and encourage people and connect with them. And that is it. And however that happens, there's a lot of discussions about a lot of fun things right now to collaborate on. And I am just pumped to take it all in and see what shakes out. And so really there's not one thing that's been like surprising. It's the whole ride is surprising so far. And I think it's going to continue to do that. And that's, what's awesome about our degree and what we, Mm -hmm. where we're at, I think. 
I can speak from experience that podcasting becomes an addiction. And before you know it, you just can't stop doing it. Do you have any tips or tricks or any advice if there's any veterinarians out there that are maybe hesitant to jump online and start building their brand or kind of some newbies to the, to the space? Any advice for them? So if you, Danielle Lambert with Snout School, she has a really good actual worksheet you work through. Um, and I did that and it was great. And it basically is, what is your audience? Who's your audience? What is the overall message you're trying to get across? And then really, what are the kind of top five things you're going to focus on and, and talk about? Because people online do want a consistent story or consistent players in the story. So I, I do have like my cat and we have a bearded dragon, Lucy and my kids sometimes. And those people are regular players and those animals are regular players and kind of the content, I guess I create, but I, I try to still keep it in a very tight package because that's what people get used to. And that's what they want to see. Honestly, my biggest advice is it's hard work. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people look and say, like even you guys, oh, you're doing a podcast. You kind of talk. They do not understand all the editing and the marketing and everything that goes into it, right? And so same thing with, I mean, I have a YouTube, a website, an Instagram, and Facebook, and I manage three Facebook pages. So I spend a lot of time creating content, editing videos, putting stuff up. I don't sleep very much. So at night, it's really easy for me to work on it. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that you can't just go into it and say, okay, I'm just going to put stuff up and do it. If you look at the people who do it successfully, they plan, they think on it, they create stuff, they, they put it out in a timely manner. So there's some things I've written, but I've held on to them because I just don't feel like right now is the proper time to mm -hmm. put them out. Um, there's some things I've done rants on videos and I have deleted them because yeah. <laughs> they didn't fit, you know, what I needed to be saying and the message I needed to be putting out there. So you have to be very thoughtful. You actually have to plan and you have to be willing to put in the hours and the work, I think, to make a, an online brand successful. You're like, yes. Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> Lots of things. All the things. It's a lot of work. So my husband and I just had this exact same conversation last night because he was just saying, he's like, I don't see how you get by on so little sleep. I don't, because I got up at four o'clock this morning to do podcast editing and, and he's just baffled by it. And he's like, is it worth it? And my answer was, it is to me. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it boils down to. You know, if it's something that matters to you, even if you're not getting paid because I'm not getting paid for this, you know, it's just, it fulfills me and it's filling that sort of that void. And that's sort of what I want to encourage our listeners to explore other sides of themselves. Don't just let DVM be your only identity. I mean, not, the, not to minimize DVM as an identity. That's not what I'm trying to say. But, you know, if you feel like there's other parts to you, then explore those. And don't just think, oh, I'm just, I'm a vet. I can't do anything but clinical traditional practice. You know, there are so many opportunities out there. Yes, 100%. And I would go further to say there is a very hungry veterinary profession and public who want to hear from you. I really think our job is interesting to people. And I think the more they see the reality of who we are and what we're doing in our hearts, I think you get more understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is our overall goal, right? Is to 
have people understand that we're really in this to help them and help their pets. And <laughs> I think that helps your clients to maybe be nicer in the long run. Mm-hmm. So that's never bad either, you know, a hundred percent agree. So I definitely think it's come out as we've been talking, but one of the biggest things that I've noticed just from following you for a little bit is kind of your mindset about hardship. And, you know, we've talked about it here. You are very positive online and you do show that. I mean, I have seen you kind of show some of the negative sides too. And, um, but I think it's important that you show, you know, you're not dwelling on it. Like, yes, it was hard, but you know, we kind of pick up and go again. So what are some of the words that you use to describe your own mindset? I think I am very realistic but ultimately I still have a joy and a passion for this profession that is unwavering. And so, yes, there are days that I am broken down. There's days I'm tired. There's days I get upset or angry, or I have not nice clients. I would say most of my clients are amazing, but I have people I have to deal with that are not always great. And so I do share those stories, but I have always, I think part of it's ingrained in me, honestly, to just be very, kind of thick skinned and know who I am and be confident in who I am and the medicine I practice and that my heart is in a good place. And I really care for people and care for their animals. And if you know that about yourself and that's your truth, then no matter what the world is telling you or a client is telling you, you can let it kind of go away eventually. Not to say it doesn't hurt your feelings or you don't have a hard time or that euthanasia doesn't really break your heart. But I truly tell myself, okay, this one client was unhappy and I saw 20 clients today that were so grateful. I sometimes take my daughter up to work with me on days she's off from school and my clients will be like, oh, your mommy's amazing and she's so sweet and she's helpful. And I mean, to hear someone say that to my child, you know, those are the things that I grab onto. Those are the things that I allow to really soak into me and feed my soul. And the things that I know are, my sister says this all the time, trash and not truth. The things that I hear and I take in and I see, I just know they're trash and not truth. And yes, it it might hurt me or it might bring me down, but I push through that because I know tomorrow's a new day or the next client is a new client and I just don't dwell on it. Mm -hmm. And so it is a little bit training yourself to say that one negative interaction does not outweigh the 90% positivity from today or from this week. Um, And I think that is something that young veterinarians have to learn a little bit. And I am pretty good at compartmentalizing sometimes and knowing when I can come home and I can sit with my husband and I can talk to him about things. And it's not a reflection of me and my heart and who I am. It's just something that happened to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Because life happens to you. Mm -hmm. You can't control life. It's, It's, but you can control how you react to it and how much you let it affect you long-term, not always short-term, but long-term. So that's a lot of stuff. We can't control the things that happen to us, but we can control our attitude about when they do happen. And that's really the only thing we can control. Yes. And really the trash, not true thing. It is like the simplest thing, but if you can tell yourself that it is life-changing. It really is. Yeah, that's a good one to take home. I like things that are short that'll trigger a lot more in my brain. Trash, not truth. But do you do anything intentionally or maybe not intentionally to maintain that mindset? Books or podcasts or anything else? Meditation, yoga. <laughs> I, so I'm not 
a meditator. I've done like Pilates and I like yoga, but I'm not a yogi. Um, <laughs> I just don't have time to consistently work out, which is something I, I chase my kids around. I bike with my kids. I carry my three-year-old. That's my workout. Um, and that's just the reality of where I am. I will tell you things. This is probably really simple to some people, but I take my daughter to horse lessons once a week and being at the barn and being around horses and seeing her joy and not looking at my phone and just being there and being outside that for some reason just really calms me and gives me a lot of peace. I think you have to find that like, what, what is your place? Where's your thing that you really feel calm and comfortable and you have to kind of go back to that kind of place or that kind of sense of things. And so the barn really kind of resets me when we go there. Um, and then nights where I sit on the couch with my husband and we just talk and I can share, that's probably my main thing that really helps me have perspective on things, which is a truthful, honest perspective. He is great at giving me good feedback and just listening. So those are the two things. Um, you have to have a tribe, you have to have people, a mom tribe, a, you know, a good partner. You have to have somebody, you can't do it by yourself. Those would be the things that kind of help renew me and let me also vent. <laughs> yes. So if I need to. When you take your daughter to her horseback riding lessons, I guess what I'm envisioning and I can totally see this is, you know, you get to be that horse crazy girl again, that horse crazy little girl. Yes. You know, you're not going as Dr. Crocker. You're going as Tanasia, the mom, and you're watching your daughter relive, you know, maybe what you relived as a, a girl and, and horses in the barn and all of those smells, you know, the hay and the leather and the, yes. the, this horse sweat and all that kind of good, awesome things. And, and I, from what I'm hearing is that, yeah, you can experience that not as veterinarian, sick horses, lame horses, Coggins tests, but as just a horse crazy girl again. Yes. And I, you know, you saying that actually makes me think that there probably is some sort of physiologic response that I have at the barn because growing up, if I would get upset, I would run away down to the barn and I would go like lay on my horse in the stall or yeah. be in the stall. And so it was really a place that I went if my emotions were really rolling or if there's something going on. So mm -hmm. you were probably, you probably just, that was like, Instead of counseling, I could just pay you a hundred bucks to figure that out. <laughs> but the smell, and you're right. Uh, that is, that makes perfect sense, actually. Yes, I love that. I think we need to record a horse, a crazy horse girl meditation for those of us that don't get to go to the barn anymore. Oh. I think that's how we could get Dr. Crocker to meditate, is if we just yes. smell the hay. <sighs> it would have to be. Yeah. Smell a vision with like essential oils, but with that horsey smell. Yes. We all know that. Right. Smell. Well, I'm sitting in my yeah. office and you're talking about it. I haven't smelled that smell in a while. Yeah. I just smelled it. Like yeah. the memory yeah. of it. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that calming effect. Yes. I love yeah. it. I love it. It could totally work. <laughs> <laughs> we just created something. Shh, don't put this in the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That's our product to monetize. Danasia, <laughs> Dr. Crocker, thank you so much for agreeing to join us on our podcast. 
and I am just very excited to grow this whole movement, like you said, and I so appreciate just everything you're saying and everything you're sharing. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the DVM Divas podcast. While Melissa had to run to another appointment, Dr. Crocker and I were able to continue our interview. And I'm sure you guessed it, Dr. Crocker is full of so much good information and wisdom. I had one heck of a time trying to edit this interview. Part two's coming at you next week. Thanks again. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the DVM Divas podcast. Want to know more about us? Then visit our website at dvmdivas.com or find us on all of our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, and even LinkedIn. Just look for at dvmdivas. We can also be reached by email at admin at dvmdivas.com. Don't want to miss an episode? Be sure to subscribe. And while you're at it, rate, review, and share. Your online love really does help. And tune in next week as we once again go beyond the stethoscope.